Welcome to Third and Nerd, the show that breaks down everything nerd culture with a little sports thrown in. On the show, you'll hear discussions about the latest superhero movies, TV shows, and comics as well. You'll even hear interviews from the artists and writers who helped create the characters you know and love. So strap on your super suits and fire up your flux capacitors, because here are your hosts, Josh Webb and Adam House. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special Third Nerd podcast. Uh, I'm not even going to mess around today. As you can hear with the dulcet tones in the background, uh, we have a very special guest today. Adam, Adam went and knocked this one out of the park. Adam, Adam, you landed and you introduce him. This is it. Go for it, Adam. <laughs> uh, greeting, Paul. Today we have an esteemed uh, member of the Actors Guild, uh, a gentleman with a very diverse and rich uh, filmography and uh, – how do you how do you introduce this band, Josh? Like I I, I don't think I could do it any better. Look, this is, I, I want to give this one to you, my man. This is your show. The you most, the most dangerous man in the MCU that nobody can take out. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> the most dangerous man. So we'll we'll just start with the obvious question, Vince, and just so how are you today, man? Like how how's how's the weekend finding you here on NFL Sunday? Yeah, um, you're a big football guy, huh? Uh yeah, I I don't know. It just seems to be the return of the season. I cover it, but yeah, I could take it or leave yeah. it here. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not that big on sports, so the NFL is not really affecting me very much. But uh, it's. Uh, I am. I. I. I am not a Patriot fan. I'll. I'll just say that. And I will. And this will be the last thing I say about sports in this interview. <laughs> that. Um. I. I like Kansas City. I like New Orleans. Um. Maybe the Eagles have a shot. We'll see. Um, although, and you'll just let me push through this without any comments from the band. Um, I am a diehard Jets fan, born and raised, and will always be one till the day I die. I, I completely understand that, man. I, I, I'm always I'm always respectful of people who. Uh... <laughs> sort of grow up with it, go through the hard times and are still like, you know what? This is my brand because in adversity, you learn things about yourself. 
Um, so, I definitely want to kind of uh, get right into it and talk about Daredevil a bit. You absolutely knocked Kingpin out of the park. Like, when they announced the casting of that, it was one that sort of flipped over in my head is, oh, okay, yeah, I can see that. And Marvel's been doing a really good job of that, but for you... How did the role come about to you? Was this something you actively had to hammer down a character that you saw and thought, I can do a lot with it? Or was this driven on Marvel's part? How did that all go down? Um, well, I had no idea that they were making a show into it. I, uh, I, I had no idea that they were going to turn Daredevil in that Netflix was involved and everything. I just got there. I have a, there's a casting agent um, uh, whose name is Mayfield out in, in Los Angeles who's known me for years. And she, and um, so I gather that her and Jeff Loeb were talking about actors that could possibly do that part. And I think that she brought me up to Jeff. Jeff runs the television at Marvel Studios. And, and, um, and I think that when that kind of lit up a, a light bulb for him. And I think that he wanted to find out if I would be interested. So he, he kind of reached out and then um, to someone and they reached out to me and then Jeff and I ended up on the phone together. And I think he just wanted to see if I had any idea what he was talking about and stuff like that. And, and I did, I, you know, I, I wasn't a daredevil fan, but I was a, 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 I, I, I had daredevil comics. I just, they just weren't my favorite. But I had I was a Punisher, um, Captain America guy. Um, I was also a Batman guy. Uh, I know I'm not supposed to mention that, but I will anyway. And uh, uh, but those were my guys. And and so Punisher, you know, so as you know, Fisk was in um, a few of the Punishers and um, and obviously the Spideys as well. So I knew of the character. Um, but what I didn't know is I didn't know of the newer stuff. I didn't know anything about the Miller stuff. And and so um, Jeff and, and I started to talk about that because it was the first thing that that I think he knew that I would be interested in is how, how do you make it, um, how do you make him a human being and not, um, you know, a comic book character. And I'm sure every actor has the same question when they're, when they're dealing with, um, Marvel. And so, and, and, you know, I just, from my being friends with Robert Downey and um, I, I know that they're very, you know, that, that it's all thanks to Robert and Favreau. They're, they're completely, uh, to me, they completely changed the whole superhero thing. And, and, and so that it's, it's known that you're, you're allowed to bring in a performance to these characters. It's been known for a while now since Downey did. So, um, and then everybody kind of followed in suit. And, 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 and so I knew that that was the question at hand is, you know, like um, what they had in mind. And he mentioned um, certain artists and certain um, writers and certain um, issues of, of, of their different runs of daredevil and that I should, um, check them out. And, and so I did. And then we had a second conversation and, and he was basically just asking me, would I, you know, be interested in doing it? And, and, and I, you know, I said, I have to, 
I, I said, yeah, I said, I would, I would be interested in doing it. And, and there would be, you know, I, 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 if we, as it goes down the line, there'll be things that we'll have to talk about and stuff like that. But yeah, you can, you can count me in. I liked, I liked Jeff a lot. He's a, he's, um, he's a guy in a very powerful position at the television uh, wing of, of Marvel. And, and, and he's quite a, uh, a good guy for being in that kind of position. It, it, it's, uh, so I think that it was basically Jeff and um, the kind of new runs that I hadn't seen of Daredevil and, and, and the different runs that included Fisk over the years that I didn't know about since I was a kid. Those are the things that, that got me to say yes about it. But, but um, no, Jeff asked me. I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. Right. So I, I knew like from my research that you, you had been like a Spider-Man fan as a kid, like you were reading the comics, but I didn't know that you were a Punisher fan, um, which kind of changes my, my, my question because both Josh and I are massive Punisher fans. Um, oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how Josh and I sort of bonded initially via Twitter. Um, Pretty much lived for oh, the scene where you beat the shit out of him in 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 Daredevil season two, Vince. Like that. Well, there's, that, there's I mean, honestly, there's cold. only a couple of there's only a couple of uh, there's a there's like three or four scenes out of the three seasons that that I will always remember as an actor, and uh, one of them is the is the scene with Johnny, and. Um, um, and that's just because uh, of, of Burnsall, because he's, you know, he's to me, he's one of the best young guys around right now. And um, it, so the fact that he's a gentleman on top of it, he's just a straight up dude. And and the, and, the, and that he was the two of us were able, you know, Marvel and the director and the writers, you know, they just let us you know, nobody said anything to us, you know, we just did it, you know, and, um, you know, they would give us the stage and we would block the scenes and we would shoot them. And it was, uh, you know, Marvel and, and the whole Netflix crew and the whole Marvel crew, when we were doing those shows, it was very much like that. You know, we had a lot of freedom. You wouldn't think that with, with huge companies like that, but you know, even the scenes with Charlie and the scenes with Deborah. And, I mean, there's a few scenes. I mean, not, everybody just kind of let us do our thing. You know, the they cast the they 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 really did take their time and cast the right actors with the right amount of chops to do those parts. I, I'm telling you, it's some of the best times I've ever had on any set in my career. Um, it's you know, it's right up there with with a few other times where I felt really good about what was going on in every capacity, you know, but yes, but um, sorry, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent there, but the, but Punisher was one of my dudes. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid. Yeah. Right. So yeah. do you like, do you still read like comics like Punisher to this day or no, no, no. You know, the, the thing is, you, you know, earlier you, you, one of you asked me, um, you know, what, what my weekend is like. My, you know, it's, sometimes my weekend is just 
um, hanging out with my my 11 year old because he's the only one that's home now, um, uh, and and the dog and and some weekends are just full of work. You know, I'm just reading stuff constantly. You know, it's um, I'm getting um, I don't know why this is, and, and believe me, it's not a brag by any means. It's you know, I'm getting a lot of work coming my way, or or people that want me to work for them, and and uh, so I have to read everything because I basically um, you know, I, I don't want to make any mistakes, so I have to read everything. And then, you know, I'm, I'm into this directing part of my career now, and there's two projects out there that that somebody else wrote that I really love. And I'm trying to – the problem with reading a script as a director that that's really, really good is that many people want to direct it. So it's um, – it's I'm, you know, I'm trying to, to get those, and I'm reading a – they just – I was just tossed. I can't say any specifics about it, but I was just given this like four hour mini series, um, political mini series thrown at me. And it was like, I'm like, Holy shit. So I had to read that. Um, it's like, it's, it's, it's a wild weekend. So I don't have a lot of time to read comics anymore. Um, as much as I live by care. I live vicariously through my kids because my nineteen-year-old is is uh, you know he's a real nerd. He's a real D and D guy, and he I live vicariously through them now. And the, and the little guy has also got all his little things, and 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 so I, I keep up with that with the sci-fi adventure world through them. You know, ah, it makes total sense. Yeah, uh, Adam, I know you had one more. No, you go, man. You want me to take this one? Okay. So prior to season three of Daredevil, we uh, read in an interview with Collider that you had reached out to uh, Bill Sin- uh, Sinkevich for uh, some art in the preparation for the role. I believe the quote was, the art helps me a lot more than the actual comic book stories. For you, and we've talked to other artists about this, what is it about the visual medium over the written story that aids with your creative approach to these characters? Um, Well, the first season I did it with Mac. Um, I met those two guys on set um, in the first week of shooting. And it was quite a coincidence because I had collected a bunch of art. You know, I bought as many runs as I could find and I, and I collected some art um, through the internet. And the ones that I was attracted to was uh, mostly was Bill's and David's. There, there obviously there was some, some, other great ones too. And I could just go down the line of everybody, but, but, but Bill and, and, and David uh, happened to show up on set one day and Jeff Loeb was there um, and came over to me and said, you know, there's two artists on set right now and uh, you should probably know who they are. It's, you know, David Mack and Bill. And, and I'm like, yeah, I know, I know who they are. That's pretty outstanding. And so I kind of walked over to them and introduced myself and, and I was just like, guys, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but, you know, I've been studying both of your guys' art. And um, it's helped me so much. And I, 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 I think I brought out my one of my workbooks and, um, 
you know, showed them what I, you know, I actually in my dressing room, I carried a box of certain paintings um, and drawings of theirs that I would stare at um, on occasion before certain scenes. And, um, and the reason why to answer your question is because, um, be, because they, some of the art that they did um, reminded me of, of an emotion of a, of a, of a, of a human emotion of a, okay. of a, of a broken man. And, and who's, um, who, you know, who has, you know, who has, uh, I don't want to get too, too heavy about it, but it's, you know, I, I, I go pretty deep like most actors do when they're playing parts. And, and so they were, their art reminded me mostly of a real man and with real issues and who could be, who, 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 who had been broken before. And, and, and there are particular paintings of both of those. The first season it was, I have to say the first season it was David. And then David ended up sending me a bunch of stuff. And, um, and then I had gotten friendly with Bill on social media. And so when the third season came around, I didn't know that there was going to be a third season. When the third season came around and Jeff gave me a hint of where we were going, I knew exactly the, who I needed to talk to. It was Bill. And I asked Bill's questions and, and had him send me particular things. Um, I, I didn't do that with David because it was all brand new, but with Bill, I asked him to send me particular things if he, if he had them and, and could, because I was thinking about um, Kingpin for the first mm. time, not Wilson Fisk, you know? And so so partial way through that third season, um, Fisk becomes, in my mind, Kingpin. And, mm. and so, you know, I love number one is in an aesthetic way. I love the way that Bill dressed Kingpin. Pin. Oh and, God, yes. And, right, and and so it, it, that helped a lot. And then there was also, I don't want to say too much, but there was other particular things that have to do with emotions that um, that Bill was was able to help me out with too. But you know, these guys are geniuses in my mind. I mean, I, you know, to me, they are top notch artists, like top, 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 top. And the way their minds work and, and, and what they're able to do through their hands is, is incredible to me. And it's very moving to me. And I so, yeah, I was, was going to say, I think every time, and this ties into what you're saying, so I'm not trying to cut you off. When I look at the stills, no. you, you talk about the the visual and the suits and the outfits that Kingpin is dressed in with your mannerisms. And I, and I would suppose that a lot of these mannerisms, I would feel, come out of the stills that you were able to look at. And so you could sort of look past what you're seeing on paper and take yourself into the mind of what's going on. Why? Is Kingpin look at that, and I agree with you. It took until season three until he became Kingpin, but that's not what made it great. It was sort of watching this journey of Fisk sort of 
realize that the game is much, maybe much larger than he thought, but that doesn't mean he's lost. He just needs to regroup and, 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 and come back at it in a different way. And, and man, I'll never forget you just staring at that white painting because it, it was the foreshadowing of the jail cell. And it was these small moments where it wasn't anything. It, it wasn't a, a scene with a whole lot of lines. It wasn't a scene where you're delivering some kingpin s diatribe. It's always these minor scenes where you just have the look on your face or the fury comes out. Like when you smash the dude's head in with the door or you beat the ever loving hell out of Frank that's Wilson Fisk in the comics. And you just, you pulled it off to a T, man. I felt like I was well, watching panels, is, if that's a compliment. Um, sure. I, look, I appreciate it. You know, the, the, from the beginning when it came to the fans of, uh, of this particular comic and, 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 and Daredevil himself, and 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 of course Fisk. You know it, the the fans. You know a lot of people ask. You know, did you did you ever feel pressure? But if you jump, I never never did I ever feel pressure. I I felt completely like inspired and fueled by things like what you just said. You know, because people would come up to me and tell me. Um, you know, talk me through their favorite storylines and, and tell me why and this and that and, and how important it is to them. And, you know, just I can see it in their faces and in their eyes and in the way they're holding their body. I can see that it's a big deal to them and, and to their friends. And, and, and so that just fuels you to want to do a, a, a great job, you know. And so it is, it is, it is appreciated. I have to, I have to say, you know, the, the, the only other thing that I would say about particular scenes and, and stuff like that is that, you know, Stephen DeKnight, um is incredible. He's an incredible writer. And him writing Fisk in that first season was the birth of Fisk. I mean, I can't do anything unless the writing is there. I can't figure out how to birth the character. First, the words have to be born, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, some of those things that Steve, I mean, Steve, Steven, he, he added, you know, there's the two writers, Eric Olson, who did the third season and, and Steven, I mean, you know, Stephen birthed that character. You know, he, he he's he's if you want to thank somebody, he's the one to thank. I mean, he there's that there's a couple of monologues in that first season. You know, like the one when I escaped, the one in the 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 Good Samaritan one. Mm -hmm. It's an incredible monologue. It's an incredible monologue, and 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 you know, done right, it's. Phenomenal. It reminds so, me of Al Capone Eric, in the history yeah, books. I mean, it's, every, it's all of that shit. It's every every bad guy that's ever tried to make sense of what he's doing and why he does it. 
you know, it's, it's that in a nutshell. And he was able to do that in like, you know, 50 seconds or something, whatever, however long that monologue is, you know, and then Eric uh, in the third season, um, he, he, there's no way there, I can't imagine anybody writing that third season except for Eric. I mean, he knew how to put Wilson on his feet. He knew how to take Wilson out of prison and make him the most manipulative bastard alive. (laughs) And, I mean, honestly, he knew how to do it. And he told me from the beginning, you know, you know, that he was going to just, he, it was in him. He was going to rock it. And, and, and I could just see, you know, from the, from the first pages that I read that this guy was, if he was into any character on that third season, I know for a fact he was into Fisk. I mean, <laughs> he, he rocked Fisk, Eric. You know, so those two guys, you cannot forget, you know, when I talk about performing the character, you know, that's one thing. And I get it, you know, I get, I get how, how fun it is to watch and, and how intriguing it is. But, you know, none of that's there without the writing. None of it. No, for sure. So my question is to you is we always sit like we can sit here and sit, look at your filmography, the list of things you've done. Certainly, we're going to talk a little bit about some of your directorial debuts and such. Um, but if you were to hold a candle to your own sort of career what was the most underrated role for you? Like we all, everybody has their own sense of what somebody else's most underrated role is. But, but even just through talking with athletes and other people in life, I always find out that what we think it is never really matches up with the reality of what the other person thinks. Um, that's a, yeah, that's a difficult question for me because I don't really pay attention right. to my work. So it's a difficult thing. Like I stopped looking at my work. Like if I can avoid it completely, I do like 15, almost 20 years ago now. Fair so enough. when I was younger, I used to watch it. Um, and I felt that it was silly to watch. <laughs> and so I stopped. And so um, I, and I try to get all my friends to stop too, but they don't. But that they, you know, I just don't see it. I don't watch my performance as we're doing it on set. So I don't watch playback. I think that anybody that does is just being vain. I don't think it helps. They always say the same thing. Oh, I can fine tune my performance or whatever. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, I have like, I've developed friendships in this business that are like brothers and sisters to me. And so we can talk very freely to each other about um, the way we are as artists and I can get uh, buried by them and I can <laughs> bury them back. And, and, and it's one of the things that, um, that I will never agree with. I think that, I think that an actor doesn't need to see their performance. Ever. Amen. I, I don't, once we post these podcasts, I don't go back and listen to them. A, I cannot stand the sound of my own voice. And B, it's just something I've never done. Like, I'm a guy that when I finished grad school, 
I turned in my thesis on one go. Like I didn't sit there and like second guess myself with rewrites and this. I'm a guy that I'm like, here you go. Here's the draft. This is as much effort as I'm going to put into it. This is what you get. <laughs> and it was usually good yeah. enough, but that, I agree with you in principle. I'm the same type of dude. I totally understand. Yeah. So let's flip the script. If the MCU. But you know what I'm. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. No, I was just going to say when I'm directing, it's, you know, the, the actors, they, there's playback because you have to, especially when you're starting off. Um, how difficult is that for you since you don't like watching? How difficult is it for you to transition into a role where as a director, you have to watch the playback? Yeah, I just see the technical stuff. It's easy. It's not a problem. I mean, I didn't play a really play a part. I avoided um, I avoided the, the, as much as I could in, 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 the, in the kid in the Western that I shot with Ethan and Chris mm-hmm. and Dane that the, I, I played a small part. I tried to even get out of that, but I couldn't. <laughs> the, the producers wouldn't let me. But um, but that's it's not a problem because you're just looking at the technical aspect of things. And if basically if I don't fall out of the frame, it's good. You know what I mean? And 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 so that's how I consider my acting. But everything else has to be has to be perfect. And so the yeah. You know, but when other actors want to see playback and stuff like that, I don't. You know, if if they really, I'd rather them see it than than interrupt their way of doing things. You know, so I don't. It doesn't bother me that they do, but um, my good friends know how I feel about it. Oh, uh, Adam, do you want to ask the uh, square off question? Yeah, for sure. So, um, obviously, on Twitter, you've been instrumental, like the Save Daredevil movement, um, which has sort of garnered some attention. So, with that said, uh, if or when the MCU brings back Kingpin, uh, who would you like to work with the most, uh, and which Marvel villain would you like to face off against? Who would I? What heroes would I like to work with? I, you kind of broke up there, bro. So, uh, like in terms of like uh, existing actors in in the in the Marvel universe as. as as opposed to like characters, I would love to do the, uh, one of the Spidey movies. I mean, I don't think that that will ever happen. I, I mean, I don't know because they don't tell us actors anything. But um, I would love to do one of those. That that would be fun. To I, I think that they are in they are in need of Kingpin. <laughs> very much, so, and, uh, very much. And uh, but but you know those guys over at at Marvel or 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 Sony whoever's making those movies these days, um, they know what they're doing. You know, I'll either be in those movies or I won't. But I personally, I would I would love to go up against Spidey just for the iconic aspect of it. You know, it's just they're such a great match. You know. But and, what? Uh, feel- what villain would you have to teach a lesson if he got in your? Because there's always that moment where a villain's like, "No, you don't get to kill him. I get to kill him," and then you have to teach them a lesson. Like, what villain needs to be taught a lesson by you? Dude, all of them. I mean, honestly, it's Kingpin. Like, really, man. Like, that you is can't. The- you're, you're talking to the guy. That's awesome. Kingpin. Okay. 
You know what I mean? You're talking to the guy who plays Kingpin. It's not really a fair question. You know, people, I mean, I just think that they're all nonsense compared to Kingpin. <laughs> and and I, I would be silly. I, I, it would be stupid for me to think anything other than that. You know what I mean? Oh, it, I know. <laughs> I can't go. I can't ever play Kingpin again and not think that there's nobody as smart as him. You know, I, I, there's just, it's just not, he's too, he's too much of a hot mess to not be the smartest fucker in the room all the time. And, 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 and that's just the way I feel about it. And so I, 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 I think that they all deserve a lesson. <laughs> oh, that answer made my day. Scotty, I know you said you had a question. Vince, this is our producer, Scotty. Okay, Vince. Hey, Scotty. <clears throat> New project idea for you then, man. MCU Uh-oh. and DC crossover, Kingpin versus the Joker. I totally want to see that. <laughs> Which Joker, though? That's the thing. It's got to be Mark Hamill, right? Well, that would be cool. I mean, are they thinking of putting Mark Hamill in a in a movie? No, I'm just Joker? I'm just pitching the idea. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, I think Mark, I think Mark is awesome. I, I'm, I'm, I, I haven't, you know, not since um, my favorite Australian actor who passed away on us. Um, yeah. Not since he played uh, Joker have I. Have I been into any of the Jokers? And and I'm, but I'm really, I have to say, I'm really looking forward to seeing Joaquin's uh, this whole thing that they're doing. Oh, it looks amazing. Yeah, I just saw an ad for that. Actually, crazy. I think it's going to be crazy cool. I mean, I just have a feeling it's going to be crazy cool, and I'm hoping so. (laughs) And Adam, well, that leads me to my question, actually. Um. You were talking about roles and what's your all the different projects that you're being pitched as a director. And I've done a little bit of voice acting and I've tried some different scripts and stuff. So I'm just kind of interested in hearing about your process of picking roles both as an actor and projects as a director and how you decide what kind of speaks to you and, and what you decide to go with? Well, as an actor, it's always been the same since I was like in my thirties. I, you know, when you're very young, you're just out there and you're like, Oh my God, I'm an actor. And like, you don't know what the fuck you're doing at the time. And, and, and then you suddenly, you know, it dawns on you that, Oh shit, you know, I've got the ball you know, I better run with it, you know, and you get really, really serious. And, uh, and that, so, so, so your main task is story. You know, that's what your job is. That's what my job is. That's what every actor's job is. Not just me, my, my good friends, that's what their job is. They tell me the same thing. You know, our job is to help tell stories. And so there may be this whole world out there of, you know, celebrity and all that stuff and all that's great. And some people handle it well and some people don't, but that's not our job. Our job is storytelling. And, and that's how I pick my projects. Um, 
that's why I'm in stuff for five minutes or two hours. You know, it's like, to me, it's like, yeah, I want to be involved in that. That would be cool. I have the time to do that. I'll do that. You know, like, that's cool. You know, um, uh, there, there. That's basically it. You know, like a friend will call and say, "Hey, would you feel like doing this big sci-fi film with me?" And I'll say, "Well, send me the script." You know what I mean? I'm like, my first thing I want to say is yes. So I say, <laughs> "Dude, you know I want to." You know, you, you know I want to. So send me the script. You know, and so it's always story, guys. Always story. And then as a director, as a director, you know, it's obviously. It's it's the same thing, you know, it's different because you're not thinking about your, your, your like uh, composition within the structure of the story as, as, as a character. You're not, you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about the whole story, the complete structure of it, uh, the complete composition of, of the piece. And, and, and that has to be, that has to work at least in my mind, it has to work in every aspect. And if not, it does it look like it can be fixed, you know, um, to work. And so like, I, I won't say what it was, but I'm, I, I, I've read, like I said earlier, these two fantastic scripts and I, you know, there's very little that I, that I would change in them. I mean, I think that, that scenes will just come out because they'll realize that they're, they're not needed eventually, but, you know, these are, these are well-written scripts, scripts that I, you know, one of them, I want, both of them, I cried when I was reading them. One of them, I cried once in the middle, and then at the, the very last line of the character, I teared up like a, like a, like a little baby boy in my office. And, and then the other one, I cried during it. There it was, it's a, the, the other one is a story, the main character is a woman, and she says something, it's a very famous woman. And she says something midway through the story, and I was like, "Holy shit!" I had to put the I had to put the script down um, for a minute because I couldn't believe that um, that 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 that's where the story was going, and and I was completely moved by it, and and so that's how I pick stuff. I mean, I think that explains it. Yeah, I was. Pretty pretty damn thorough to me, but you also opened a door for Adam when you talked about Australia, and that's Adam when he hears the word Australia, he comes through like the Kool Aid Man. So Adam, yeah. do it. You know you want to. Well, Australia, <laughs> man, Australia's got some of the best actors in the world. I don't know how it happened, but it fucking happened. I don't know if it's the surfing or whatever it is, but uh, the first the women started coming. And then yep. the guys started coming, and it hasn't yep. stopped since, man. It's well, look, I'm going to go off, off script here, seeing as how you bring that up. Like, when you talk about Australian actors, who who would you consider some of your favorite Australian actors? Uh, I got to be careful with that. Um, <laughs> I, I will say that I will say that I you can't. You got to be careful saying who's your favorite actors because you can hurt a lot of feelings, you know. Okay. And, and and so it's really not fair. Um, um, I, I'll tell you one of who, who my favorite one to be around is, is Jackman. Right. Okay. He seems you know, like he's contagiously he's awesome, a good time. He's just an awesome guy, and he's a great actor. And 
and he's a triple threat. And I just love fucking triple threats. You know, I, anybody that can sing, dance and act is like top notch for me, you know? Mm. And cause I, I look at them in such awe. Um, I was, I was, um, a very, very close, uh, Gregory Hines. I don't know if you guys are too young to know who Gregory oh, Hines yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So Gregory, Gregory Hines and I, uh, for the last 20 years of his life, we were very, very good friends, like brothers. And we traveled together. And, and, uh, and, and so he, he has, he set the bar for me. He was the one that when I was in my um, early thirties that set the bar as far as the combination of talent and just being a good human being. And, um, and so that's the bar. And so for me, and so, um, you know, Jackman fits as far as Aussies, Jack, Jackman, you know, he fit, he fits there, but you know what, dude, there's so many, I mean, it's really shocking to me as an American actor. Um, it's one of the reasons why I started teaching, you know, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I teach, I, I, whenever I can find a time, I donate time. I teach free. I teach at, uh, I teach graduating students at NYU who, who, um, go to Strasbourg Institute for, for uh, and get taught by me there, a master class. I teach at the Strasbourg Institute. I have scholarship students there. I teach at the Queens Theater in New York. I teach disabled people. I teach all over the world. In fact, I, there's a class in Los Angeles, a method acting class that I take over. I'm a, I'm a lifetime member of the Actors Studio. Um, I've taught in Hungary. I've taught, like, I teach because, um, but especially I teach American actors because they there there was a lull there where we just weren't coming up with the goods. I come from a generation that learned from the generation before me who were all incredible actors, like incredible American actors. And, um, and then the generation after mine, it was England and Australia, you know? And, and then, uh, and so now we've started, and then like usual, the women are always first. Um, in America, the women started coming up in, as incredible actresses again. And and then slowly the guys are coming back as incredible actors. And so that's a really good thing for me to know because, you know, I this is where I studied. This is where I, you know, I've lived all over the world, but this is where I, New York is where I make my home. And, and it's important to me that American actors, um, that they're up to par with the rest of the world because it's what I do for a living. Anyway, I know I went way, way off course, dude, but, you know. It went nah, from being nah. a fabulous Australian story to all about America. Fine, <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's fine. It's, it's actually interesting, and it, it segues into a, a question I was going to ask you because you talk about like legendary actors, um, and earlier you referred obviously to like working, uh, knowing Robert Downey Jr. But you had the opportunity to work with him and Robert Duvall uh, on The Judge, um, yeah. which I only just had got around to watching funnily enough uh over the weekend and you know that that movie i think didn't get the credit that it actually deserves and um it was an emotional film and it, it touched me in a lot of places um i uh 
I had a father who uh, had cancer, so um, it hit, he hit those marks for me. Um, and, yeah, I just, yeah. just wanted to know uh, if you could share some, some memories from your time working on that film with us. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry about your father, by the way. That's tough, man. Oh, uh, uh, thanks. So, yeah, no no problem. Uh, I, I, I know that's hard. I lost my stepfather to cancer, who was my father figure, the guy who – who um, helped me through life as a father figure. And I lost him to cancer many, many years ago. And that's, that's, it's still hard. So uh, I, I feel for you too. Thank you. Um, yeah. And uh, so Duval, so Duval is, I, I just have to say that, you know, watching him act, when you're not in a scene with him, like when you're on set and you're watching with him and you know, you've done scenes with him and you're going to do more scenes with him, but watching him just be in the scene where every breath, every breath that comes out of his, his body, every word, every movement, every sound, odd sound that his body might make that his organs might make inside him. It's all pure fucking honesty. It's like Um, unbelievable. Every breath from that guy when the camera's rolling is just, it's golden. It's just golden. And, you know, that takes being good for many, many years. You know, he grew up in a generation of actors that they were the shit, man. You know, you could not, you would, you did not want to put your hand in the cage with those guys. I mean, I came from a pretty nasty generation of actors and people still don't really, you know, they think twice before they put their hand in the cage with us, but you did not put your hand in the cage with that generation of actors. They were animals, man. They were fucking animals. And he came from that. He's one of those guys. And he's been doing it consistently for the longest, I think. And it's it's unbelievable. I mean, it, it was, I was awestruck. It confirmed everything that I ever thought that I was, you know, put on the earth to do as a performer. You know, it confirmed so much for me being with him. And then the little private conversations we would have and the, and, and, and the idea of being able to tell him how much I appreciate him and, and bring up, you know, just like, you know, just like a little kid, bring up performances that, that moved me of his, that, I, that if I was too ashamed, but I knew the, like, dialogue to them and everything, and I... And, just to ha- just to ask him to answer one question about each little thing that I had um, to ask him, and, and to have him do that to me in a very personal way, and to you know, and to for him to walk off the set and put his arm around me and take me for a walk and tell me shit and and, and you know, and 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 then at the same time give you a hard time because he's like a tough tough guy and. You know, like I said, they're animals, those guys. And, and, and so 
you know, I can't say enough about about that man. He's, you know, I I knew of his of his talents since I was a kid. I knew from stories what he was like as a person, and and uh, I never became a close friend to his, um, but he was so dear to me and and sweet and kind and um it was you know it's rare it's a rare thing in this business that you can get moments like those people think that we have moments like that all the time when you're an actor that people actually can think can act and and know that keep the company of other people that can act. People think that we get those opportunities all the time. We don't. They're rare. And and they're like super rare. And 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 even if you do, sometimes they just they disappoint you so badly. Um but Duval is he he's quite something, you know. Thanks for sharing that because, like, it, you know, you, you pretty much confirmed everything, like, that I would imagine him to be off screen as well as, like, what from what you see on screen. Um, you think yeah. you see, like, a hard man, but you also see in, the, in some of the scenes in that film that I mentioned, like, you see him soften as well. And, and you, you could just tell, like, that he would be, you know, a genuine, a genuine real person. And yeah, you just confirmed that. So, so thanks again for sharing that, Vincent. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course, of course. And and you know these guys, you know, like him. I don't know how old Rob, Robert is, but I know he's getting up there. And you know, once you've once you've, you've um, gained their trust, I, I mean, I feel the same way. Once you've gained my trust as well, but a guy like him is in such a different caliber than I am. That. You know, the idea of the fact that he's the kind of man that once you gain his trust, if you see him somewhere else, like we ended up on a set that... Uh, he is 88 uh, looking 61. That man does not look yeah. 88. Yeah, no, not at all. And the, see, James Frank, I ended up on a set with him with James, a James Franco movie called Indubious Battle. Uh, Franco directed it. Um, uh and we were on the set together, and just the idea of, of um, seeing each other again, it had been months and months, and the camaraderie and the trust between the two of us, and, and that he's getting old, you know, and so, so that he, you know, he's, he's obviously, you know, uh, trusted me to... to um, to to you know back him up in 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 every aspect and and I was there for him of course but it's it's uh it, it's it's quite something because you know we men and women both who are in this business as as actors you know we're we're we all have the only thing we have um, the only thing that separates us. There's no mystery to acting. There's no key to it, like secret that one knows that the other doesn't know. There's no such thing as that. There's the only thing that separates us is experience, is our own experience. And and if we can get some of that from
from someone else, it's like, it's like a gift. It's like magic. It's like Christmas. So that, that's how Dubal is. So you're welcome. I am <laughs> curious. Um, you, you did a movie with uh, Jennifer Lopez actually in my neck of the woods, uh, Bakersfield. Yes, I did. Yes, I, I, did. I, I am curious, having now lived here for about you know, 10 years, and, and I moved from Laguna Beach, so you know what kind of a culture shock that is. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you have any Bakersfield stories. God, I was, in, I was only in Bakersfield for one day. We did an exterior shot because the, the exterior of my lair, so to speak, was there. And but it was underground, so the entrance to it was in Bakersfield. And so I had a scene with my big white shepherd, beautiful dog, and uh, that was that was my character's dog in the film. And basically, I just drove a a truck with the shepherd into that area, and um, and then walked around on the the outside of my. Uh, Lair, so to speak, and thinking about creepy fucking things, and then um, I got in the van and they took me back to Los Angeles. That's that's all I know about Bakersfield, dude. I actually feel like that is a perfect Bakersfield story, and that when my <laughs> Baker's friend field friends tune into this, they're going to hear that and they're going to be doing the same thing I was. And I was like, he's going to tell me he got in and got the fuck out. And yep, 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 he did. Okay, that's a Bakersfield story. <laughs> and there's and there's no offense there. That's just how it goes with Bakersfield. You get in and you get the hell out for some reason. Uh. Let's see. <laughs> um, you've portrayed some really, really dark and off-kilter characters over the course of your career. Who yeah. do you think was the darkest or the most evil character? And also, going back to what Scott said, what does it take for you personally to get into that dark place? Like, like the scene where you smash that dude's head into the car, like 45,000 times that I had to look away from. Um, how do you get into a scene? So just ridiculously full of rage and violence, knowing that that's, that's a baseline emotion for this character. That's going to be par for the course. Well, you know, podcasts are an interesting thing because they're not interviews. Right. And so, so there's more time to talk about things and in a more extensive way. So I will answer your question, but I'm always tentative because um, I'm not totally convinced in my however many years of acting that people are truly interested in how we get to where we get as actors. I find that they're more interested in the result. Hmm. Um, having said that, I will tell you that I will tell you one thing about my, <laughs> the work that I did for this. And that is there's a particular, I'll start with this. It's how I came up with his voice. Hmm. It's, there's a particular event that happened in my life, um, a very emotional event, that 
um, that I can that that I'm I'm I dive I delve into method acting as you know, and and I can get to that event and I can be there in that event and it changes me and it's an emotional event it's it's I can, it's so strong in me that I can use it as a lens to see through like I can I can see through it I can see the actors I can see my blocking, I can see the camera, I can see what I'm supposed to do, but I'm seeing through the lens of the emotion that that event caused me. And that... Yes? Oh, I was just saying, that's amazing. And it's not, it's not amazing. A lot of people can do it. Not just me. And, and uh, it's, it's how I came up with his voice that there's a sound that comes out of me, an emotional sound that comes out of me that I helped um, influence, that it, I, I let it influence the way Fisk, uh, Fisk sounds. And so I speak through that emotion most of the time and I bring it up into in, in different levels. And so that particular scene, that was, that was full out. That was, it was, it was full out. It was full out every time, every take. Um, uh, we didn't do it a lot, you know, but, um, and, and, you know, by the way, uh, before you even go there, before I even go there as an actor, everything is worked out. Like the, right. the stunt is worked out. Every particular thing, every safety thing, every possible thing. Like, I'm not, I'm not. I'm never out of control. I'm just acting. But it's the way that I act. That's that's how I do what I do. People do different things. That's what I do. And and so I'm never out of control. I'm never Fisk. You know, I'm always me in the circumstance of Fisk. You know, and so I'm that kind of an actor. What's um, amazing to a lot me? Of different... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I go didn't ahead. realize. No, I was just going to say there's a lot of different techniques in 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 this world of acting, mm-hmm. and um, and and the and the great actors can can achieve can all come to the same kind of uh, level of performance using whatever technique they prefer. You know. See, I I I did, and and I'm no by no means an accomplished actor, nor do I even dabble in it these days. But when I did some stuff in college this was more because i wanted to i wanted to have fun with it i drew whenever the situation called for anger i drew on two experiences i've been robbed uh, at weapon point two times in my life the first time was on my 13th birthday and the guy was actually in a gang initiation and was supposed to murder both me and my grandmother however he didn't count on a 13 year old being taller than him because I'm just one of those ridiculously tall people. So once I stood up, he rethought it. Fortunately, we weren't hurt. But in college, I was robbed at gunpoint and they pretty much took everything out of my apartment, including my classwork. And I, I, I know that you can probably imagine how to go from zero to pissed off beyond belief by recalling those instances. 
and and I'm trying to think is that well, I'm not trying to pick at what your event was, but similar to what I did drawing off of those like that to achieve that result, is that akin to what you're talking about? I want I just want to make sure I understand that. No. Okay. I got it. It's an actual wrong. it's an actual it's an actual thing that happened with a person who I love unconditionally. Um, it was an event that happened to them that I was part of there with them. And it brought it, this, this thing that happened turned into an actual event and it was quite emotional and, and it's very specific and it happened more than seven years ago. So um, it's a, it, it's a, you can pretty much in, in, in what I do, if you deal with stuff, if you deal with emotional stuff that's seven or more years ago, it's always better because most likely your, your, um, your feelings about it are not going to change. And so it's a very um, good thing for me. Everything's worked out since then and everything's wonderful now, but, um, that particular event. No, it's a, it's a purely very personal event, and it's what it does to my heart, my stomach, um, my whole body, what it does to me as a human being, and the emotional state it puts me in. And then I just speak through that and see through that. And whatever happens, happens as long as I'm hitting my marks and saying my lines. So Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, but I do want to talk to you about your directorial stuff. You just recently did well, uh, not not recently, recently, but but, but recently ish. Uh, you worked with Chris Pratt in The Kid, uh, which is semi-autobiographical yeah. western about Billy the Kid. Uh, and I thought it was a really really interesting uh, take that you did. I you know I like the stuff with Rio. Um, I, I thought it was very interesting. What? drew you to the idea of a, a, a Pat Garrett and William Bonney story? Have you always been fascinated with those two? Or is this just a, a project? Well, I've, always that came... I've, I've always liked Westerns. I've always liked Westerns. And I always wanted to make one and, and knew that I always would. I didn't know how or when, but I knew that eventually I would get the chance to do it. And and um, I had written a Western before, but it kind of caught caught up in litigation and stuff and so it I, I it was I was young when I wrote it and I didn't really know much about unions and lawyers and writers and stuff so it, I actually wrote it but now don't own it anymore so, <laughs> which is odd but true and so that never that would never happen again that was many years ago but so and and then I just wondered you know I grew up I was I mentioned this earlier with Adam I had grown up with a father and a stepfather. And um, uh, I, as a very young man, I became who, who I am or how I think about um, uh, humanity and about relationships and about fatherhood and stuff through um, the two of them. And 
I've always wanted to tell that story because they were polar opposite people. And um, both gave me things that I needed um, and things that I didn't. So um, I thought of, wouldn't it be interesting to make a fiction about Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid and put a kid in between these two iconic characters for the same, with the same story, a boy growing up knowing the two of them and having two of them influence and who he becomes as a man. That's how I thought of the story. And then we just wrote it. I rather, I actually rather enjoyed it. I liked the Rio inclusion. I'm a big fan of, uh, I guess you would call it a uh, uh, fictional history where, where you have fictional characters in, in famous yeah. story. I, I love that stuff. I think that type of sandbox is just endless. If, if you have the right type of imagination and the right type of motivation, um, yeah, I, but think I, would, I think if a Western, if you want to consider a Westerns to be mythology, mythological stuff anyway, why not just make a, a story like that? You know? Absolutely. Most we it's people don't realize how so how little we actually know about some of these major events. And, and like we we do have primary sources, we do have secondary sources, but but it's not. You know, they weren't writing down every event that happened in the Wild West. They just kind of dealt with shit, you know? It was a get shit yeah. done time. It wasn't a document this stuff time. It was, let's meet, high noon, bring your gun, we'll settle this. That's it. Nobody's going to write a story about this. Yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right. And the truth is that very few people knew where very few people actually were at any given time. <laughs> the, thing about, the thing about Garrett is because he was one of the first U.S. Marshals, um, and, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Garrett's stuff that he figured out on how to move through cities and, and go from place to place and how to arrest people and how to, and how to keep peace at the same time, a lot of those, they're still in the code book of the U.S. Marshals are still his laws that he wrote, his procedures, some of them. Let's and, go, well. And so... Well, yeah, it's true. And so the thing about Garrett and Billy the Kid is because they were for a long time in the same vicinity. It's one of the few outlaws where you actually it's actually recorded of where Garrett was. So Garrett recorded it himself because it was his job or he made it his job too. So that, that's that's the interesting thing. So the map, this this the one map of their journeys, him and him and uh, Bonnie, is actually true. It's the only thing we really know for sure about their whole story is that they were actually in those places at those times in that order. And so, which is really bizarre and interesting because there's no other there's no other uh, outlaws where you actually know that. No, everything else is kind of, he saw him playing poker and it went in and shot him in the back of the head. And you're like, well, shit, that yeah. sucks. <laughs> Vincent, um, Vincent, when uh, is the kid getting an Australian release? Do you know? What's that? Has the kid, had, has the kid been given an, an Australian release yet? I doubt it's going to come out into the movie theaters there. It came out in Europe. It, it came out in... Spain, I think, and throughout the United Kingdom and stuff. I don't know. You know, it's 
it's out of my hands now. It's in they it's in video on demand and iTunes world and Okay. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened yeah. after that, you know. It's, yeah, it's, I was, uh, I was I was looking into it and I, I couldn't find anything on it about like even being on Blu ray here yet or anything. So I guess I just have to wait and, yeah. and keep Keep, look, keep looking for it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big web I know it's fan, out so. on Blu-ray. Yeah. What's that? It's out on Blu-ray. And by the way, if, if you have a good screen, good television screen, um, the, uh, the the version that they, the print that they show that they that that, that iTunes actually has is is pretty damn good. Um, okay. I even watched the opening scene of it on an airplane the other day. And just to see what they did with it, and they didn't modify it for the airplane at all, which I was very happy to see. It's uh, it's it's shown the way it's shot, which is rare for an airplane. You know, they usually pan and scan everything. Um, mm-hmm. But this is all wide stuff, and everything that I shot, they were exactly the way I shot it. So um, I'm just saying that because if you wanted to watch it on on demand somewhere, it, there's actually a pretty good print of it out there. That they're using. Okay, I'll keep my eyes peeled. Yeah. So I I would get strung up a tree and beaten uh, like a pinata if I didn't ask you about one role in your career. You probably know damn good and well which role I'm talking about. But people want to know about your experiences as Gomer Pyle in Kubrick and what it was like working with Kubrick because I can't think of too many people that haven't seen Full Metal Jacket and have I mean that's really a, a, a film of two acts and 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 both of them are just so damn poignant that they stick with you forever and your character obviously plays a large part in that you're kind of the completion of Act Day. What what was your overall experience like that, and what what's it sort of been like to deal with the legacy of that film? Because I'm not sure how you feel about it now. Obviously, times change. So <laughs> I hope I'm I hope I'm treading on proper ground here. I'm certainly not trying to ask you totally anything are, bad. Man. You totally are. I mean, I don't you know I don't look back um, in any way about anything I've ever done without. Um, without being pleased in, in very different ways than what other people might think. But, you know, that's, it's my life. So right. they're all memories. They're all memories to me. It's, it's not really the movie. That's the, that's the big thing. When I think back at projects, it's the life that happened during the movie, you know, right. Um, that, you know, dude, that was my first like feature film. You know, I had done a Tromo film to pay rent. I think I worked for like two days on that and I did a, a few NYU films. Um, but this was, this was my first film. Like, you know, I was doing Broadway. I was, you know, I, my career was starting. I was getting paid to act. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he brought me out there. Matthew Modine had already gotten the part and started shooting. And then they, um, they took some kind of break. And Matthew was back in New York, and I, I was—I uh, used to be a, a bouncer and a, and a bodyguard when I was a kid. And I used to work for the Hard Rock Cafe, um, who was owned by, um, well, 
doesn't matter. But uh, the 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 Matthew was walking by one day, and Matthew and I knew each other from school and from from acting school and from auditions and stuff because we were always uh, seeing each other during uh, for auditions. And he started working in film. Uh, he had done four films before I even got my first break, and so well, I think maybe five films. And and so I had, I. I, he was walking by and we saw each other and, and he uh, and, and his wife Carrie um, with their first child and uh, um, no no they didn't have they didn't have Bowman yet it was just the two of them and and um, the so he told me about this project that he was doing and that there was a part available but he had only read his half of the script the second half of the script he hadn't read the first half of the script but he knew that there was a part available and he said that I should make a tape and, and send it to Stanley Kubrick. And I'm like, Oh really? Like, you know, and he's like, yeah, you know, why not? Let's just give it a shot. And so, you know, I did that. And I went, me and my friend, Steve, we went on the, uh, we went and rented a camera, which back then were huge. You know, they were huge video cameras and you had to carry a deck as well, or a strap with a deck, you know, recording deck. And we, I did this monologue that I was doing from a play on, on a suit, but 10th Avenue and 21st street in, in the city here. And, um, I sent it to where they said to send it. And, uh, um, you know, long story short, I ended up getting the part. He called me directly and gave me the role. Family did. And, um, I went out there and I had to gain a bunch of weight. And so you have to realize it was my first film. Um, with this iconic director because of my father was into the arts. I had seen all his movies. Um, and, and, and even after when I was living on my own, I seen, you know, I'd gone to see, you know, the shining and I mean, I knew everything that he did. And, uh, so it was like a huge, huge thing for me. I, I didn't even know how to talk to, uh, I didn't even know how to be on a movie set, you know? Um, I didn't know how to talk to a film director. I didn't know anything, zero. Uh, all I knew how to do was hopefully act, you know. And 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 so he was to me. He's always going to be this this super nice fucking dude who brought me in and treated me kindly and gave me the confidence to do this kind of iconic part in this thing in this movie and, uh, and, and, and allowed me to gain all this weight for it. And, and he, he treated me so well. Uh, and, um, Matthew and I used to go over his house. There's a lot of actors in that movie, but Matthew and I would, we would go over his house on weekends and, and watch movies with him. He had a, he had a screening room in his house that had these two giant projectors and he would, you know, thread them himself and, and switch the reels himself and all that stuff. And we would watch these amazing movies, Sam Kubrick, and ask him about them. And he would talk about, he would show me all his photography and show me his album collection and, and, um, and his, all his books. And I mean, the guy was just an endless source of information and, and took his time making a movie. I mean, I, my, I was there for 13 months doing 35 minutes of the movie. Modine, Modine was there for his, Modine's son 
was conceived and turned a year old before he even before the movie was over. That's crazy. <laughs> Far out. <laughs> so yeah, something insane like that. And and but I lived there. I lived in England. I lived there uh, for the for the year or more. And um, you know, I had this great flat, and um, I'd never been out of you know, I'd been out of New York, but I'd never been out of the country. And and you know, I was 24 years old um, doing theater in New York. Um, so I got my, that's my first experience you know, of, of living in another country on my own in a nice flat in Chelsea, England, London, and meeting Europeans for the first time and, and dealing with top-notch artists, you know, the production designers and the wardrobe people and Stanley and, the, and Doug Milson, the cinematographer, meeting people on, uh, that are at a level of their of of their skill that was beyond anything that I had been in touch with up to that point, and uh, and their friends and their friends of friends, you know. I had Thanksgiving with Martin Sheen, you know, over in London. You know, I'd never imagine I'd ever meet Martin Sheen, and I had Thanksgiving with him. A few Americans got together in this house, and it was Thanksgiving, and. I got invited to it uh, over Gustav Hoffert's house, and it's you know, it a fantastic time. What a fantastic um, experience! Yeah, and so those scenes in the movie were just Stanley would come out and he would say, "Okay, we're going to do this part today, and this is where you guys need to do the scene. You need to do it here, and uh, what are you going to do?" And so Matthew and I would just kind of, you know, say, okay, well, let's try this. And we would do something and we'd all block the scene together. Um, and then when Stanley thought it was in good shape, he would start setting up cameras and he'd say, okay, I'm going to put a camera here and there and there. And he goes, instead of going over there, don't go so far because I need you to stay in the light over here and stuff like that. And, and then they would set up, we'd come back and we would shoot and we would do it again and we'd shoot and we'd do it again. And like the most takes I ever did was like nine takes. And that was for the emotional scene when I get um, hit with the um, soaks with the, uh, when you, you know, when, when they gave you the, the, uh, the blanket party. Yeah. 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 Which was nine, nine takes. And um, I re- were they hitting you really had... with the soap? No, there was it was styrofoam squares okay. wrapped in towels. Yeah, and uh, no, I had uh, no woman, no cry playing on a. Um, uh, I would I had headphones on with a little. Um, what were those things called? The cassette tapes. What were they called back then? Walkman. Yeah, a Walkman. Sony Walkman. A little yellow. Sony Walkman I had and uh, I had no woman to cry playing over and over again in my head and uh, we did it nine times in a row um, <laughs> the big shot the big crane shot where it raises above me crying and all that and then we did some coverage and then we were out the 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 scene where I killed the sergeant and then kill myself we did in three takes you know um, <laughs> not including the special effect and then the 
and then we did the me shoot blowing my brains out but we did and also lee shooting lee the turnaround but on yeah. me that that main coverage all that coverage on me that's in the film we did three times only and uh and i remember and stanley never said anything he never talked about story he never talked about acting he never talked about what he would what he expected never not once not in the whole 13 months i was there um, I've told this story before, so you've probably heard it, but there was one, the evening before we shot that bathroom scene I was just telling you about. Um, we were leaving. We all had uh, uh, drivers, and we were leaving, and we were walking in the park lot, and Stanley used to um, have this thing where he would clear his throat before he would say something. He'd go like, <clears throat> like that. And so you always knew he was going to speak. And he was behind me. So I heard him do that. And I stopped and I turned and he was looking at me. And I said, um, and Matthew was, Matthew was there too. Um, and he said, do you know what you're going to do tomorrow? And this is like, this is one of those times where um, like, it's like Christmas. Like you get a gift that you cannot believe actually happened. It's one was, um, coming across Matthew that day in front of the Hard Rock Cafe. And this was the second one. He goes, do you know what you're going to do tomorrow? And I said, yeah, I think so. I think I'm ready. He goes, okay, it has to be big. It has to be like Lon Chaney big. <laughs> and he said, do you know what I mean? He goes, do you know what I mean by Lon Chaney? And I'm like, yes, I do know what you mean by Lon Chaney. And he goes, okay. And then he turned around and he left. And I'm driving home in the car. And this is, this is, this is, I, 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 there was like, I could not contain myself. Um, I knew that I was going home to a flat that on the dining room table of the flat was a stack of old horror movies that I've been watching for the last three months on videotape and most of them were Lon Chaney films and I it was like fucking heaven it was like Christmas and it gave me the fact that I was on the same page with this guy and he was on the same page with me so to speak and I was able to go in that day um I kept, I kept very relaxed. I kept the, the nursery rhyme, three blind mice going on in my head over and over again in a very kind of monotone way. And we just shot the shit out of it. And, and then Stanley at the end of the third take, he invited me over to watch the playback. And on the third take, he put his hand on top of my hand. And that's, I knew that, um, that I had done the right thing. I couldn't tell. I was just seeing, you know, you know, whatever. I don't even remember what I saw, but, but, um, but I do remember him putting his hand on my hand and that, and like, I knew I, we were done. Like I knew, okay, he's happy. We're done. Yeah. It was mm -hmm. good. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's incredible, man. Uh, yeah. Seriously. Yeah, I, I, I could, this is the great thing about Hollywood is that you just listen to these stories and they just like, there's, there's no part of it where I'm going to be like, you know, this is fucking boring, dude. Wrap it up. <laughs> like, there's just, that's never going to happen. They're just so rich in detail and there's just so many characters and it's like, I think sometimes people forget that the characters off screen, the directors, the producers, the special effects, the stunt people, like there's so much more going on with them than what you see in the film. Like it's, 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 it literally is a whole nother microverse. And it's just, it's fascinating to hear the stories out of that. I do have a question from Jill Levy who wants to ask for her son, her son struggles with dyslexia, and it has affected him. It has affected uh, his ability to do different things. And she was wondering, how has being dyslexic affected you? How do you read and memorize scripts? Do you have any advice for her son when it comes to dyslexia and succeeding? I do, yes. How old is he? Uh, she didn't list the age, but I'm going to guess somewhere, you know, in the, in, in the 10 to 10 years. Okay, it seems... so he's a child. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and what's his name? Do you know? Uh, it's from Jill Levy. Uh, so I, she didn't name him. A lot of people choose not to name and show pictures of their kids for privacy reasons, but her name is Jill okay. Levy. Well, I would say, I'm going to say this like I'm talking to him so she can play it back to him. Okay. Awesome. Is that, is that cool? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So listen up, kiddo. I've been dyslexic my whole life. Um, I failed many grades when I was a kid. Um, they thought that I was dumb. They thought that, uh, or I was lying to them that I was trying to avoid the homework. They thought everything but what was really happening. And that was is that I couldn't put sentences together correctly. And I had to figure that out. Back then, there was no such thing as dyslexia. They didn't even know what that was. And I had to figure out a way to calm myself, to take my time, and to put the sentences together correctly. Until this day, I still do the same thing every time I read a script. And so I'm an actor by profession, and so I have to read a lot. And, you know, I still to this day see E's and threes exactly the same way. Like the only thing that I, the only way I know it's a three and an E is because of the font. I can tell by the font. That's the only reason. Um, I, I invert letters and invert sentences and invert words all the time. If you look at my Twitter feed, kiddo, you'll see that I can leave several words out of sentences or, or and after I've proofed read it, read it like three times. Um, it's something that's never going to go away. But the one thing, it has never stopped me to move forward in life. It didn't matter what grade I got. It didn't matter what people thought of me. I knew that I had goals in life and I was going to meet those goals. And, and, and I know that I have that same thing in common with 
thousands and thousands of other people in this world that are dyslexic, just like me and just like you. There, I have met CEOs of large companies. I've met giant movie stars, giant musicians, painters, singers, artists of all kinds, business people of all kinds that are super successful and are all dyslexic. So the one thing you can't do is you can't ever let it hold you back. And you can't ever let it drain your energy or make you think less of yourself because you are always going to be dyslexic and you're always going to be you. And that's the most important thing. Be you and meet your goals. You can do it. I promise. I did it. Believe me, I'm no genius. You can do it. Okay. That's that awesome, was, Vince. That's yeah, awesome. that's awesome. Vince. You, thank you. you. You've yeah. got people on here that I suffer from mental depression, ADHD, and ADD. Scott, our producer, has cerebral palsy, and he chunks through the day with the vigor. Of, of 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 people with twice his mobility. He's just the most outgoing and, and and caring person I know and he gives me inspiration when I'm having bad mental health days. And it's just the there's something that I love about social media and that's the ability to directly connect with someone else who's genuinely having totally. a hard time putting themselves into a world that may not have boxes for their mental health or may not have a box for their dyslexia. And the general rule of thumb is make your own damn box. I won't say the other word because I'm talking to a kid, but make your own yeah. damn box. Yeah, uh, Jill said his name is James. That's the name of her son. Jake? James. 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 Yes. So we'll make sure, so James, we'll make sure that he's on, our, James, on Twitter. Let me just say something to James real quick then. So he hears it from me directly again. So James, um, you heard what I said before about all that stuff, right, James? Um, by the way, my name's Vincent. And I want you to know that, that dyslexia, James, can be hard and it can be exhausting, but you're going to figure it out, dude. We all do. You're no different. You're going to figure it out. You're going to do things different from everybody else, but you're going to do them, and they're going to be just as important, and they're going to fill your life up just as much as everybody else fills their life up. So know that, James. Okay, kiddo? Cool. You're a, you're a fantastic human being, Vince. I, I, I appreciate the fact that you do this. Um, for my, for myself, I, I, okay. So in college, now we get to the chance as we're winding down where I tell you in college, I met, I loved law and order, but I'll tell you what, I love law and order criminal intent more than any of the others. Like you and Catherine Urbe just absolutely killed it on that show. I loved the setup. I loved the structure. I loved the way your character knew every goddamn thing in the world. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just curious. And, and somebody else wrote this in too. Uh, you, you know, you could see that there were nods to Peter Falk and Columbo in those performances for Gorin. This is a two part question. What, what did you enjoy the most about playing Gorin and how high would Gorin rank as, as a, 
Oh, excuse me, a shield officer. <laughs> um, look, you know the the the. I always have this curse of, of or I have had twice this curse of uh, getting the opportunity to play like a character that's always supposed to be the smartest person in the room. And so um, it, it, because it's so, I don't, I don't know why that actually ever happened because it's so far from the truth when it comes to who I really am. But the, the Goran was a fabulous character because he could be full of flaws and, and, and emotionally a mess yet written to always be the smartest person. And so the opportunity that that gives you as an actor is incredible. So yes. So you look back to Columbo, you look back further than that, you know, Sherlock Holmes, you know, there is so many characters in literature written with that same kind of mythological kind of aspect to them where they're crazy, but they're smart. And, and it's, it, it, it's just, you know, the, it's just one of the most fun characters you could ever have to develop. And, and, you know, there was a few seasons on that show, especially the first few where we had, you know, the writer, Rene Balsay, was one of the top uh, crime writers in the business. And and then and then every once in a while, every once in a while, a writer would come around like Warren Light or something like that. And he would write a couple of seasons and his stuff was brilliant. And then Chris Brancato, who wrote the last eight episodes for me um, to end the show, he was brilliant. You know, it it there. Again, you know, like we talked, it's like full circle back to the original thing about Fisk is that, you know, with, with Goran, it was, uh, it was mostly about the writing. The, the other thing, um, I would say it was those scripts had to work. So it was about the scripts. It was about the writing, not almost about the writing. Or, but, but the thing about working, it was my first television show um, where I actually played a, a big character on the show for a long amount of time. And Dick Wolf was like the best boss you could ever have. Uh, I, you know, I don't have much to say for everybody else that works for him, but the guy himself is a champion. Like, un, like, ye, ye, I can't say enough about this guy. Um, the freedom that he gave me, the, 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 the confidence to, to create, where everybody else was asking questions. Is this going to work? Is this going to go? Why is he doing that? Why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? You know, why is he not talking? You know, I remember when I used to pause, people used to get upset. Like we were doing fucking radio or something. I was like, it's not radio. I can pause if I want, you know, like, <laughs> like who said you had to be talking all the time on television? You know what I mean? Um, you had the best but mannerisms like, with Goran too. It was never, yeah, you, you mean, mentioned those pauses. That's when you knew. That's when you, as the viewer, you knew some shit was up because that face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, all that stuff was all conjured up by me on the fly, um, knowing that there was only one way to make this show interesting. It was that as if Kate and I had a good relationship and if Gorn was a mess and, 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 and that he was 
that he had no edit editing system, that he was not aware of how he was behaving at times. That's the only way that that show was going to be interesting. Otherwise, it's just going to be another, you know, Sherlock Holmes show. And and the the so the the lean that 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 I did all that comes from Dick being on the set saying, "Go ahead, do it. You know, just do it. If you want to do it, do it." And and so a, a lot of my memories about that show when it was written really well was the champion that I had in the writers and in Dick Wolf. They were, they were outstanding and, and they would always, they always knew that I wasn't, that I was, that I was working too hard. And, and Dick used to tell me to push away from the table a little bit, but I never listened to him. And, 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 um, and, and soon after that, I just, I became so exhausted. I mean, I think the New York times, said at one point that Kate and I, we worked more than, we worked more hours than any other actors on television. And, 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 and we were, we were averaging 17 to 18 hours a day, um, you know, six and a half, uh, uh, five and a half days a week. And so for, you know, 10 months, you know, that's like this, this, that's not streaming television. You know, that's 22 episodes a season. And we're like working every day, with tons of dialogue. I would have scenes, I would have, at the end of that show, I would have, uh, my last scene would be just me talking for seven pages or sometimes 11, 12 pages. Um, that's hard to do on a show where you're learning the next script as you're performing one. Um, it's, that's tough work. For, it was tough work. Kate and I, I remember, would spend Christmas you know, Eve, you know, sleeping under, sleeping on the floor of sets. You know what I mean? It was crazy, crazy work back then. Thank God it doesn't go like that anymore. But those guys, you know, but, but, you know, Dick always warned me, you know, I'm not going to last forever if I, if I pay this much attention. And I just, I would just say to him, look, I don't know how to do it any other way. Like, this is the only way it seems viable to me. Like, I can't imagine this working unless we do it this way. So, you know. I, in, in, in my opinion, it worked. So whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm not saying there was a power struggle, but but, but whatever dynamic of power was in play there, uh, you, 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 it worked. <laughs> I don't know what to, other to say other than it worked. We know we've had you for yeah, a minute. I mean, so it, it totally did. But the, but my point is, my point is, is is that that Kate and I knew what we were doing as actors. The writers knew what they were doing as writers. Um, but the only thing that saved us in the end was Dick Wolf. I mean, seriously, if you have a, if you have the boss of a show who actually knows what's going on on a daily basis on set and he's in your corner, it's, it's, you're pretty fucking lucky. And it's going to make a good show for a certain amount of time, you know. And that's Dick Wolf. That's why he's he has a whole other franchise going on in Chicago. The guy's an amazing television producer. He's legendary. <laughs> Absolute legend. All right, so a couple questions here from fans. Somebody wants to know, what's with the okra? And Diego wanted to know, speaking of okra, have you ever ordered food in character just to order food in character? 
What's the what's the okra? What's that? Uh, I assume somebody was asking, like, I, th- I don't know, maybe they thought you had an obsession with okra or it was one of your favorite uh, foods. But, yeah, it, it was from Jason. Like it, it sounds to me like it might be a character thing that I did one time. I don't – it sounds familiar, but I, I don't know the answer to that question. Well, that's fair. That's fair. I, I, I was kind of unsure about it too. Um, me too. From Glowy Gal, she said if you were given the choice – would you have had? Would you have let Ilets Vanessa grow into her own queen pinness, or she says, "Is that a better qu- a question suited for I uh, for uh, for I yell it. yeah I, I, yell. Yell. Uh, I don't know why that was so struggly for me." Yeah, um, it is a better question for I yell it because I yell it's like a major powerhouse of a woman and an actress, and I'm sure she's got a lot of opinions about this. Because um, her opinions on set were, you know, scene changers. You know, this lady is like the real deal. Um, the the uh, I, I would have loved. You know, the truth is, is that I would have loved to have seen. Not that this ever has to happen or anything. I'm just saying. But you know, Ayala and I, we hit it off immediately and she got to know my wife and my kids and and i got to know her husband and her her son and and you know on set we were inseparable and and had so much chemistry and and respected each other so much i would have loved to have had the opportunity to go further with that you know just to see her become this queen you know like i i I think it would have been I think if any actress could handle a part like that, it was Ayala, you know. Um, and there's something left that's like that's not done about that whole thing between Kingpin, our Kingpin, and Vanessa. And I, you know, it's it's a shame, really, because just as a kind of fan of their relationship, um, I had hoped, you know, for more, you know. I think that answers the question, though. Yeah, yeah. So many fans hoped for more. And I think a lot of fans are still kind of hoping that – because you brought this up earlier. I'm going to piggyback off your opinion, but you brought up Johnny Bernthal. Now, for me to try and picture another Punisher after John Bernthal, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Like, they could introduce the guy – I could see I could see it on screen, watch the movie, think the movie's fine, but the entire time I'm going to be sitting there going, John Bernthal would have knocked this out of the damn park. I don't care if the other guy does a great job. Like, when I think of Frank Castle now, I think of John Bernthal. As a Punisher fan, like, are, are, are we in the same camp, Vince? Are we in the oh, same oh camp my God. on this one? Dude, dude, like, forget it, like. He, there's nobody but John, nobody. I mean, I saw the I saw the movies and everything, and you know, whatever. I'm not going to comment about those, but it it because it, it, I have friends that were in them and stuff, and and some of them. I liked fun, Lexi but, Alexander's War Zone. I thought it was it was it was a fun yeah. action movie. Yeah, yeah. The, the, there's really cool things about all of them, I think. But you know, I, the first day on set when I walked out, we did the one of the we did the exterior prison scene where the workout area was 
that was our first scene together. And the first chance we got, because we had never had a chance to talk, I sat down and I said, dude, if they, if they, if they're talking to you about turning it into a show, you are the fucking punishment dude. Like you, you need to hold that mantle. Like that is you, you are that shit. You have to play it for everybody. I told him that straight up. I said, if there's any question in your mind as a film actor, whether you should play Punisher, if Netflix and Marvel ask you, I'm telling you right now, you need to do it for not just you, but for everybody. I said that to him, man. He needed to do it. Like, there was something so visceral about John Bernthal's performance. When you hear him scream, he just has that Punisher. Just... It's it's oh so God, reminiscent yeah. of Wolverine, and it's just – it's animalistic in nature, and John Bernthal just has that I do not give a shit look on his face, and it just works. Like the, Well, the, the other thing about John Bernthal – the other thing about Johnny the actor or the person yeah, is that please. He's, he's the real deal. You know, he's, he's a badass motherfucker, period. Like that's it, badass. And I dare anybody to say anything less. Um, <laughs> he is an incredible father. He's got an incredible heart, this guy. He's one of the kindest actors I've ever met. He's an incredible husband. Um, so he has this human side to him that, that matches his, this talent that he has is extraordinary. The fact that he studied in Russia and, 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 and he's, he, you know, to when I work with a young guy like that and the camera's rolling and they're pitching the ball back and forth to me, I'm, I'm as happy as a pig in shit. I can't believe I'm the luck, I'm lucky, you know, to be in that position with, you, with a guy like that. You know, I, uh, you know, I, that's all I've tried to do my whole fucking career. And, and to see some young guy, Pitch it back to me hard and fast. It's like, dude, it's like everything. And, and so, and so he's got the talent, he's got the humanity, and he's a fucking badass. Like, who else would play the Punisher other than Johnny? That's what I think. Yeah. I, I hope they don't recast, man. For the sake of it, I hope they don't recast. I think that there are several characters that they need to bring along. Look, I, I get that there are some characters that may not need to come because that's the nature of the business. Sometimes you bring some, you leave others behind. But I'm not. I'm saying this genuinely. I wouldn't give a shit if you were on the podcast or not. I'm saying this genuinely. Characters that should be brought along: your kingpin, his Punisher, Charlie Cox's Daredevil. And maybe I, I think Deborah too, as Karen, uh, she's fantastic. Uh, th- those are my. I, I draw the line there. Like these people have to go. There's others that I would be fine if they went, but but listing my short list saying these people should never be recast. You, Johnny, uh, Charlie, and and so on that would make that list. The, 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 you guys just hit the rules too on. It makes it difficult for fans to try and picture someone else. Damn it! I know. I agree. And and we have. I have to say something about Deb is that she's just you know amazing. I mean, I um, you know that there's a couple of scenes. There's that one scene we did together in in the last in the third season. 
at my at at department. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was you know that was just the two of us you know just uh, winging it and and she came in with the goods and um, you know we knew exactly what we wanted to do. There was no director telling us what to do or anything. You know like. <laughs> Like I said earlier, that's the thing about those sets is that there there were some actors with some motherfucking chops on that set, man. And she was the real deal. Like Catherine is the real. I mean, Deborah is the real deal. She she truly is. And and I told her so. You know, um, uh, uh, just very 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 impressive. And then you know, any any in fact any part that that I go up for when I read a script or when I'm as a director, when I'm looking at a script, I immediately start searching for stuff that Deborah could play. Like immediately. Um, Vincent, before we let you go, because you've been so generous with your time. um, I've got to ask one one last uh, little question. Did you take any uh, mementos from uh, the Daredevil set home? Like, Anything of Wilson Fisk's a suit or anything, perhaps? Uh, what I did take some stuff, but I don't think I can tell you what stuff. I did. I do. I. I'll tell you what I can tell you. Because I take. I always take something from the parts that I think uh, meant something to me. And so, like, I still have Goran's uh, badge, but that's many, many years ago, and you're not. You're not supposed to take the badges, but I did take his badge. <laughs> <laughs> nice, <laughs> and I have it as I have it as a book uh, as a place marker in the in the first script of the show, and cool. and so there's one really cool thing I took of this, but I can't say what that is. But in the first season, I took, I have a couple of his suits from the first season, but but those were just kind of given to me. I was going to say, I hope you at least got the clothing, like, given to you. Like, because at that point, it's already been tailored and all that jazz. Like, just give it to you. Yeah, because... I mean, I don't wear them out or anything. But the, the cool <laughs> thing about the cool thing about it is I, I actually was able to get them to use uh, Michael, Michael Andrews in New York, who's my, my suit builder. Um, he has a bespoke here in, in, in New York City, and he's an incredible uh, suit designer, men's designer. And so he he actually built those those suits, and he built the ones in the third season as well. So, um, and the white one, and the white one as well. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Um, but I have I have a couple of the first season stuff. The other stuff was just too iconic. I they actually ended up selling it, I think, or yeah, auctioning it off for it- yes. Had a huge yeah. auction. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. I mean, that I don't know why everybody freaked out about that auction. They're like, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything, right? No, no. We didn't that... use anything. We used we didn't use any of the stuff from the first season in the third season. So you know, why would they do that? Why would we use it? You know. The la- uh, our last uh, guest question wanted to say that your episode of Homicide is one of the best episodes of television ever. But what I really want to know is what was it like working with Andre Brower? He, he's, he's a sweetheart. I haven't, you know, unfortunately, um, I think I've seen him once in all the many, many, many years. 
that we've known each other. I think I've seen him once since then. But, you know, I couldn't have done that without him. I mean, it was, he was so present and so there for me. And, you know, he was a, a big shot on that show. He was one of the main characters. And, you know, the, I know what it's like to do a show like that. I didn't then when I did it, but I do now. And I, I appreciate it more um, since I know more about what television is like and being a lead on television. And so him, his, the care that he took and um, the fact that he, you know, the two of us knew pages and pages of dialogue and, and he was, and he was just so well prepared and so there with me the whole time. And, and, um, you know, it was sort of like a two-hander, you know, it was just like two characters, most, you know, as far as I was concerned, I didn't see any, I didn't have anything to do with anything else that was going on in the show. So for me, it was just like this play with like two people. And um, that's how we treated it. They just, we just had a certain amount of pages. We were told how many pages we were going to do that day. And we would go in and we would just do them and they would shoot around us. And, uh, and I remember, you know, I still to this day, I remember portions of looking into his eyes and, and while he was speaking to me, while the camera's rolling, I still see his face, you know, his presence and his, you know, you know, Brower's the real deal, man. He always has done. Ah, oh, man, Vince, we so appreciate your time. I've, my, I've got, what's up? I've got one last question, Vince. Oh, okay, Scotty, go ahead and we'll get yeah. out of here. You briefly mentioned when you were talking about your uh, teaching jobs that you work with people with disabilities. As Josh mentioned, I have a physical disability, so I was just wondering if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about that. Yes, of course. So the Queens Theater in in Queens, uh, New York, um, this is the second time we're doing it. It's the Theater for All group program over there. And I started it with them. And I, we only teach this, this, uh, uh, actors with disabilities, everything from um, uh, people with apps with no sight to partial sight to cerebral palsy to um, uh, burn victims to to um, paraplegics to a- anybody that that has a has a, a yearning to be an artist to be an actor I teach them method acting and um, I start actually I start um, the the uh, the tenth this 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 week um, I start uh, a course um, at the Queens Theater. So um, we'll, we're doing it again this year, and then they always have showcases for them. And we and I always, through social media, and so does the program over at the Queens Theater, we make sure that everybody, all the casting agents in, in the country, know that this is going on. I, I'm always making casting agents aware of the fact that there are actors with disabilities out there that need to be working, and <sighs> instead of hiring actors to pretend like they are disabled why that's just hire the real thing because some of the kids or in adults that i have in my class um are just incredible actors i mean you know they can do anything anybody else can do and so it's it's just it's just the whole thing an awareness thing that we're trying to do and also i'm just 
doing my thing as a teacher. I, I, I love to teach, and these people are incredible actors, and I get to teach them. Vince, you've almost got me crying, man, because I totally feel and understand exactly what you're saying, and, and God bless you for doing that, because media representation for people with disabilities is so important. It is a big reason yeah. why I got my degree in broadcast journalism, was to try and use the platform of actually sports media to go out then and share my story, which has been darn near impossible, but... I'll bet, I'll bet, yeah. Um, yeah. But you're doing it, but you're doing it, dude. Yeah, man, and, and so, like, I know I'm out in California, but if there's any way I can ever help, you know, spread awareness or uh, get involved in the very limited way that I can, I would be more than happy to do that, man. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to do the same type of thing um, out of a theater in Los Angeles. And so if, if you want to uh, help me out with that, then I'd be happy to do that kind of thing. You know, it's like a, if, if there'd be a theater in Los Angeles that would consider starting a program like the Queens theater does it. I would be totally into teaching there too. So I'm trying to do that. And, and, and if I get some takers, I'll let you know, man, I promise I will. Oh, I, I, I have, I happen to have a degree in nonprofit management that I'm currently not using and also would be happy to help you <laughs> in, any way, in any damn way as a way. Um, Man, I, I just want to say that it, much like Scott, hearing your story about overcoming or not overcoming because we never really overcome our disabilities. We deal with them. We manage them on a day to day basis and we don't let them own our lives. But hearing someone right. like yourself talk about how you've mustered through it and, and, and admitting that there is adversity, man, that that helps me. That stuff that I can put in my virtual hope chest and, and say, no, look, man, you've actually talked to someone who had like life's not as bad as you think it is right now, Josh. Calm yourself down and just take a deep breath and look at the world around you. Like this is this conversation yeah. is going to be something that will definitely help me when I'm having a mental moment. I know that. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'll give you I'll give you a funny example. And then then this will end it. Yeah, I remember on this. I remember on the set of um, of uh, Law and Order once. I don't. I don't remember what scene it was or anything. But I had a line, um, and one, and the word forward was in in the line, and and I couldn't say it. I couldn't say forward, and I it would only come out forward, and I got. Because of my dyslexia, I got stuck. And Kate was like looking at me and she goes, forward? And I'm like, what? And she goes, forward? And I'm like, forward, forward. Oh, how am I saying it? She goes, you said forward. And I'm like, what's the word? She goes, forward. And I'm like, and I, like, this is on the set in front of everybody. And I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. So I said it the way it's, it's, it doesn't, it's maybe happened once or twice in my whole career, but it was because when I first read it on the page, my mind saw it like that. 
and I could not get away from it. And, and now, and so it, we left it. And then I, and later on, I went back in the studio and I, we, 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 you know, you do a thing in ADR, it's called where you go over, if some, if a noise happens during dialogue, you can fix it by just re-recording the dialogue. Well, we did that with that word and it was fine. And I, and I could say the word fine again. And I never messed up. I never messed up the word forward again, ever. But that day, that time, because I, because the first time I memorized the word, I saw it wrong because of my dyslexia and I couldn't not say it. So, um, I think I'm, I think I have a pretty good reputation at knowing dialogue and being able to how to articulate and, and do different voices and accents. And I'm just saying that it's a real thing and I did not let it bother me. I let people giggle and whatever, but still, cause I in fact thought it was funny, but I just pressed on. Like I don't, I have stopped. It took me a long time, but I stopped letting that kind of stuff hold me back because I know I'm worth more than that. I appreciate that, man. I really do. Yeah, that's so, awesome. So with the time that we have left, what we'd like to do for all our guests is uh, give you a chance to tell people where they can find you on social media, any important projects that you want to pump, anything you have coming out, or like you said, any charities. You've, you've talked about some of the work you do. This is your time. This is your time to tell the folks whatever you want. I say, uh, so I have the Godfather of Harlem coming out. That's, that's coming out this month. Um, which is a, a show I did with Forrest Whitaker. It's going to be great. It's on Epics. It's like that's about Nikki Bonds, right? It's about Bumpy Johnson. Bobby and, Johnson. Bumpy Johnson. That's right. Yeah. Yes, and I I play uh, 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 Vincent the Chin Giganti, and they're both real characters uh, in New York. And it's uh, I play. I, I won't say anything about it, but it's one of the most you know, irredeemable characters <laughs> I've ever played. And, and it's, it's not very nice. It's not like, okay, like this. It's like wrong, like so wrong. And the, so there's that. And, um, I did this thing, uh, for, um, uh, for, uh, for Ryan Murphy called, uh, Nurse Ratchet, which is based on, uh, Once We Over the Cuckoo's Nest character that Ryan Murphy wrote for, Sarah Paulson, and I'm in that. And there's a couple other projects that I've already completed that are coming up. I just don't know whether I'm supposed to talk about them yet or not. So I have a lot of things in the can that are coming forward. Um, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I have a project of my own that I that I'm writing that's in development. But I'm, but so there's no movies right now. I'm looking for movies to direct. Um, but I will say this about the rest of the world. I will say. Um, uh, if, if you're a liberal like I am and, and you're going to vote Democrat, you know, promote whoever you want, but when it comes down to whoever's running against him, vote for that person, please. And, and, and I will say one last thing that, uh, that, um, I'm on Twitter and, if you're a troll, don't bother. Yep. <laughs> That's it. 
It's it's just that simple. Vince Vince yeah. is very familiar with the block button, and he doesn't care. Like he's got no time for shenanigans, and I appreciate that. It's just eh, block him, screw him. Not gonna let that negativity into my life. Um, so I just want so guys, to... So guys, hey, I have to say the three of you have been awesome. I appreciate it very much. It's been really fun. I, I We appreciate you, man. It's It's been amazing. And when I get my Kingpin tattoo, I have a Marvel sleeve on my left arm. My, my, my artist and I are doing a street scene on my right arm. And what we've decided is we're going to do a comic-looking Kingpin, but he's going to have your visage. Uh, 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 a Vincent D'Onofrio vi- visage. So we're going to shrink him down into comic book size and give him your look. And when that's all said and done, I will make sure you see it. Very cool. Very cool. So right, guys. thanks Vince. You have a wonderful weekend, man. We'll talk to you sometime. Thank you guys. Thanks you. Thank you all very much. Hey Bye. Vince. Thanks so much, man. Take you care. Up, Vince. See you Adam. Take care. Bye. Yeah, man. Okay, so uh, that about wraps up our time with Vince. Uh, I don't really know that we'll ever top this as an episode, Adam. Look, um, yeah, it was amazing. Um, he was more than generous with his time. Uh, we we covered a lot of covered the spread. Um, I, I feel I feel like we we could have easily sat there and spoken to him for hours about. Many, many other things, you know, but, yeah. uh, but you know, you've got to also uh, be thankful and grateful for him probably overextending his time. Um, yeah. It was, it was amazing. And uh, like you said, pretty hard to top at this stage. So, yeah. And I, feel, I feel blessed. Absolutely. And, Josh, I was just going to say, man, you and I have been working together a long time. And, Adam, you know, I've been working with you you two for a while now and, and been doing the show and this is by far the best interview we've ever done so good kudos, think, guys yeah everyone for for you know at i need to say man if, if you guys listening wonder why this show sounded so good it's because adam took it upon himself to start out he really got the structure going on the run sheet uh i mean i sort of provided the template and then adam just he took it over like a machine, man, you know, went back and looked at the template and it was like, holy crap, you know, like we, we, we agreed with each other that we would have due dates for certain things, you know, like both he and I would have our general for questions for Vincent submitted by uh, Wednesday. And then we, you know, gather up fan questions uh, up until, and uh, yeah, I went back on Thursday and Adam had, had just like completely detailed the entire thing and and it was it, it was efficient we had a system we talked about the system we were literally all talking with each other coming into today to make sure that there were no hiccups of any kind like everything ran smoothly and uh i think it did yeah yeah it was it was fantastic yeah dude so um we can end with this. How about like a five-minute discussion of Sony uh, coming out yesterday, uh, or was it the day before? And they, they said it's it's done. We're done. They were they were they were quite affirmative about it. Basically, <laughs> like we're out. It's never going to happen again. Uh, so that that basically brings an end to Spidey uh, in the MCU. Uh, I gotta ask Adam, do you give a shit? 
Um, look, at this stage with that, it's just like they're going to do whatever the hell they want to do, it appears. Uh-huh. Um, and I feel like with Feige being the way he is, he's just going to take the ball that they've left in his court and run with it with everything else that he has. Um, it seems like uh, Ike Perlmutter got the, sho- the shove out too, which which nobody's complaining about if that happened. Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, Spider-Man, it's it's unfortunate, don't get me wrong, it's unfortunate that we've, we got Tom Holland, we got Spider-Man into the Marvel Universe, and now he has to dips back out, dips back out, ugh, dip back out, I can't speak properly. So, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but, you know, I don't feel like it's going to, you know, torpedo things at all, so... You know, and maybe maybe there'll be a change of heart down the line. For now, it's just like, well, can't do much about it. Next. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I'm in the position to where I don't care. Like, at this point, Marvel has a universe that is so large and includes so many other characters that they can play with and that they're about to start playing with. Like, Feige's off to to the retreat where they come up with these ideas and lay out the future plans for the next saga. Like, look, we've been given virtually nothing. We have no idea how any of this stuff ties in together. All we know is that we have these shows that are going to be coming out, these movies. Like, we don't know what, <laughs> what Phase 4, Phase 5, and beyond is going to be. Um, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to the Eternals to sort of set the stage. And I'm, and I'm hoping, uh, that Eternals does set the stage. Like, that's the movie I'm probably most excited for. Um, I don't care too much about Black Widow. Um, mostly because Scarlett Johansson is, uh, not really opening her mouth and saying the right things right now, but. <laughs> Opinions, we're all entitled to them, I guess. Um, What's that? I guess, you know, opinions, we're all entitled to them, I guess. Yeah, we're uh, all entitled to them, but Scarlett Johansson seems bent on causing controversy right now before her movie comes look, out. Look, uh, I don't know if she's bent on it, but maybe she's not afraid to speak her mind, and as yeah. a result, as a result of, uh, as a result of something topical that happened, now they're honing in on it. You know what I mean? Like, they're honing right. in on it. They're Every little around. thing she does says. Yeah, microscope. You know, it's it's kind of like a little well, bit. Then she also, I can't remember what she said recently, but it really wasn't good. It was like you said what? Like, <laughs> I mean, look, dude, I'm generally fine. I understand that everybody has different political beliefs. Like everybody thinks I'm a liberal, and I'm not. And and it's funny because, you know, we all have these different beliefs and, and that's fine. It's totally fine. I only care when somebody says something that makes me do a triple take and go, huh, I don't care which party it is. You know, it just is like any anybody that says stuff like that, that it, it sort of opens itself to criticism and and well, jokes, really. Right? Like, that's what I'm here for. I'm here for the Scarlett Johansson jokes. 
Like, who was it? It was like Zeitz is like, they've got Dakota Fanning playing a white Ethiopian Muslim woman, and he's like, you're telling me they couldn't find a single black Muslim actress to pull this off? I mean, Scarlett Johansson was right there. And it, <laughs> the tweet was just, it was perfectly written. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, I, I think honestly we could go on for days about this and Spider-Man and whatnot, but I feel after the the show we've just had, um, oh, I wasn't going to. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm just saying. All I'm no, no, saying no, I'm, is is that I'm, it brings. I'm trying, to, I'm not trying to cut you off. I just feel. Uh, I feel mentally. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Full, I guess. <laughs> right now, like it's hard for me to to. No, that's to fine. We can wrap it up. I just was just saying one quick thing. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. Like, I was just saying. I was just saying. I'm excited for Phase Four. I don't know what these movies are going to bring, but we do know that Feige's having a summit, and so hopefully uh, we'll get to find out more in the coming months. And hopefully it starts to include characters like Johnny Bernthal and Vincent D'Onofrio playing uh, uh, Wilson Fisk. And uh, like he said, he doesn't really know what's going on with those characters right now. I imagine nobody does. So um, with that, man, we just want to say that if, if, if today's interview, you enjoyed it in any way, shape or form, you know, please consider donating to the show. Um, every little bit helps. It helps us buy better equipment. It uh, it helps Adam uh, uh do stuff in Australia, whatever it is he does. It helps Scott get paid. Um, just donate whatever you can, man. And like I said, when we have, if we keep getting these guests like this, we'll ask your questions. And, you know, somebody like James is going to get another moment. You know, we try to do sincere stuff on this podcast and offer sincere questions and sincere good times. And we hope that this means not only do you listen to the episode, but you share it with your friends and say, hey, check this out. Uh, any support is good. Like it. Uh, upvote it. Go, you know. Retweet it. Huh? Retweet, retweet it. Yeah, retweet the hell out of it. Write an article on it and say, oh, Vincent D'Onofrio gave a very lengthy interview. Just, just do something, man. Um, let us know what you think of it. Uh, Adam can be found on Twitter at Housito, H-I-W-S-I-T-O. You can find me on Twitter at FightOnTwist, F-I-G-H-O-N-T-W-I-S-T. Uh, both Adam and I are verified, um, so it shouldn't be that hard to find us. Um, beyond that, uh, I want to say thank you to our producer, Scotty, who is uh he is incredible and in doing a podcast of his own so scott take 30 seconds real quick and uh let the people because i hear you have some guests i heard you i heard you got a couple guests i do have some guests really it's funny yeah. how, 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 how did that happen man um friends of friends with people in high places that's how that happened oh Man, you must be you must be lucky to have friends who know people in high places. I'm jealous. Uh yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I may or may not have hooked Scotty up. May Scott, or may not. Seriously, tell the people you you reached out uh to to Cam on your own. I just reminded Cam that he needed to get back in touch with you. Uh but go ahead and tell yeah. the people about your interviews. So, my podcast is called Beyond the Bright Lights and it is a 
sports and motivational show where I interview people like Vince, but that are in the world of sports that have overcome some sort of adversity and talk to them about how the life lessons they've learned through sports have helped them overcome that adversity. And coming up, I in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to have former Chicago Bear Cameron Worrell on the show and also NFL Network writer and analyst Steve Weich. So that'll be fun. It will be fun. Yeah, so if you like the discussion that we had with Vince about his adversity, make sure and check out my show, Beyond the Bright Lights. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, just about anywhere and everywhere you get your podcast. I'm also on Twitter at SWJSpeaks. I'm not that active on Twitter, but uh, I am there trying to be more active on Twitter. I'm really more active on Instagram, also at SWJSpeaks. You can also follow the podcast on both Instagram and Twitter at btbl podcast so with that thanks josh not a problem and uh dude we have some major surprises uh adam do you want to talk about one of our other guests yes we do josh we have a a few people lined up uh next cab off the rank um is someone who is uh a renowned journalist in the entertainment field, and he has recently written a book about a certain web-crawling, friendly neighborhood kind of guy. So we'll uh, get back to you on that front as soon as we know more. Over to you, Jonathan, man. As you can see, the, uh, the guest lineup is growing, 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 bigger names, bigger people. That's because... We're taking names and kicking ass, or taking ass and kicking names, whichever, <laughs> whichever you prefer. Um, and we're all out of bubble gum, Josh. We're, we're all, all out, out of bubble. Bu- we're all out of bubble gum. So, uh, man, uh, it's like I was saying. If you if you even have a couple bucks to chip in, man, like to help out the show. Fine. If you can't help out that way, just tell other people about the episodes. Help those episodes. Get them out there. Have people uh, listen to them and and share them along. Word of mouth is how this show will continue to grow. Uh, Word of mouth is how we'll continue to get better guests. And the guests that we have, let them know that you enjoyed the show because that gives them positive feedback and lets them know, hey – our listenership enjoyed them and it it incentivizes them to come back on. So, you know, feedback, 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 feedback and money. Um, so, uh, our beggar asses will be back. Um, uh, we will, we will post a date. I imagine, um, either on our own Twitter accounts or the main Twitter account. We'll let you guys know, uh, we are currently, like Adam said, hammering out some 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 yeses, some very specific yeses 
Uh, so I think those are going to be our next target shows, uh, so, which is why it's kind of up in the air. But we will fill you guys in for Adam, for Scotty. A special thank you to Vincent for taking nearly two hours uh, and, uh, you know, giving us some dulcet tones with his guitar as we interviewed him. Uh, <laughs> so thank you very much to one Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, I got to be a fanboy for a second, as I'm sure Adam and Scott did. Uh, and it's really nice to have somebody who's that open, that forthcoming and uh, just a very, very kind individual. Uh, it's great. It's great. Love it when you get that stuff because uh, it doesn't always happen, let me tell you. But uh, Vince is his first class as they come, and, and the amount of time he gave us tonight was second to none. So thank you again, Vince. Uh, thanks to Adam for hanging in there on a long one. Thanks to Scott for hanging in there on a long one. So uh, seriously now, uh, we will be back uh, thanks everybody for listening and onward and upward. Excelsior, everyone. Have a good day.